people all over the world listen to Arut Shava Israel National Radio. Eliya minaro beyerushalayim now anthem misaraw be 17 beradiwo Arut Shava. That's Arut Shava on the internet at www.israelnationalradio.com spreading the light of Israel around the world. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem and Torah, Israel, and the Noahide Nations. Folks, as always, Adam and I are very gratified that you've decided to join us for this hour of the Noahide Nation show. Uh, I do have to apologize. Uh, Adam and I missed last week. But uh, for those of you who are familiar with Texas at all, you probably know that when it uh, storms out here, it's for real. And I've had to deal with contractors uh, taking care of some storm damage over at the house. <laughs> so that wasn't fun, but boy, it really looks good now. What is with Noah hides and rains? I don't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to be an issue, doesn't it? Everywhere I go. <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, uh, that's all done. We were able to wrap that up yesterday. The, the wife's happy. The bank account is sad. And uh, we're just moving on. Sounds like a plan. So, uh, folks, we do have a, a kind of an interesting show for you here. We've got uh, uh, an author uh, who was very gracious to have uh, joined us, a gentleman by the name of Justin McKenzie. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and let Adam uh, tell you a little bit about him. Justin is a successful businessman, and he started researching the Abrahamic religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism about 10 years ago, and this hobby quickly became an obsession. He quickly realized that because most people do not research multiple religions, he was seeing things no one else had, and uh, as a result of it, he's written this mystery fiction book here based on uh, his, his research. And the title of the book is Prophecy, uh, and yes, indeed, if you're wondering, it is available at Amazon.com, and uh, thankfully, we are going to be able to give out five books to five lucky listeners, and all you need to do is send us in your name, address, and a phone number, and uh, send that to Adam at NoahideNations.com. And uh, the first five people that uh, do that, we will make sure that you get uh, one of these books absolutely free. So, folks, step right up and shoot those emails into us. And in the meantime, let's go ahead and bring Justin in so we can learn a little bit about this book that you're going to be reading. Justin, come on board. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you both? Uh, we're doing okay. Doing great. So you've got this book. How, how recent is the book? Uh, what, what was the publishing date? We published it in October. Okay. So it's this been... Year. it's It's been... Uh, okay. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. 2011. Okay. That's what I wanted to check. Because yes, uh, uh, if it's October this year, we're a little we're, bit we're, early. We're, then we're dealing with prophecy. <laughs> <you> right. <know? laughs> there you go. Uh, so, but the folks will have to wait till the book comes out. And we'll, right. then we'll send yeah. to, anyway, that was uh, a published date of uh, October 2011, and uh, uh, it is a, a a pretty interesting book from a variety of viewpoints. And uh, you know, maybe uh, Justin, you could kind of give us a quick start uh, by giving us a, a little bit of a summary about the book. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, one of the main characters, and, and I'll take a step back and then let you know that what I tried to do with this book is I tried to incorporate prophecies that I found through these uh, three religions, and I tried to incorporate them with things that are going on today. Um, it was a lot easier than, than I originally thought to do because a lot of these events are actually going on today. 
Um, as an example, one of the main characters in the book was um, he had a very meteoric rise or very quick rise to political power, um, such just like uh, President Obama here in the United States. Um, so what we did is we took current events and some of the wars that were going on and the prophecies that were through these ancient texts, and we tried to combine them all in a, in a big old soup, so to speak, uh, mix them all up. And uh, I think the result is something that, that makes people think that they're reading things that are actually going on around them today. And hopefully that brings a, a lot of realism to this story. Yeah, it was it was definitely a pretty interesting read. And, uh, you know, I had to wonder while I was reading it, you know, uh, you know you know what inspired you to write a book like this? What I mean, what got you said we said at the beginning you're an agnostic businessman. What gets an agnostic businessman into writing a book like this? Well, you know, I started researching religion about ten years ago, uh, more as a hobby and just to find out more. I think you know, my uh, I, w- I was grown up when, and my mother was a Scientologist and my father was a Catholic, so uh, that was interesting in itself. But I didn't really know much about it. I think I only knew what people told me and what I experienced from limited exposure to church. So what I wanted to do is, is, is take a fresh and new approach at it and investigate it for myself. Um, and to start with that, you know, I think you obviously have to start with the root of a religion, which is Judaism. And it really became an obsession pretty quickly. Um, not so much from the faith aspect as much as from the prophecy aspect. And when I started researching these religions, what really grabbed me was I was seeing things that nobody else was. And I think the main reason was, and and I'll use the analogy of of a puzzle, which is, you know, if you have one puzzle piece, say Judaism, another puzzle piece being uh, the Islamic religion, and another puzzle piece being Christianity, they they all in turn have their own prophecies, and, and some of them have uh, their end times prophecies and, and their um, messiah, messianic prophecies. And it's only when you put those three puzzle pieces together can you really see a brand new picture uh, of the combined aspect. So that was something that, as I mentioned, it really became an obsession because I was shocked and stunned that nobody else was able to see these things like I was. And I only found out later that the main reason for that most likely is because most people don't research multiple religions. They were either grown up in one religion and just go down that road, or they pick a religion later in life and then they really only investigate one. So I think I, I was able to bring a unique aspect, a more journalistic approach uh, at these three. And as I said, uh, the result hopefully is a great thriller and a great novel and a great story. So for your research, you were talking to members of these various faiths. Was, was that all you were doing? Were you reading history? What, was the, what, what kind of research were you doing for this? Well, the way that my process worked is, is I would pick a topic that I wanted to research, and I would first try to find out what the general consensus on that was, uh, more of a layman's view. And then what I would do is I would go and I would actually read the scripture that would back up, in this instance, these prophecies. And then at that point, I would go to a specialist, whether it's a rabbi, a priest, or a mom, and, and I would consult them with it. And a lot, of, a lot of them were very, very helpful via email or even locally. So what I was able to do is, is consult with them and get their point of view from it. And then I would go back and I would research and, and read the scripture again for my own. So I would use what I was taught. I would use the layman's version, the, the version from a specialist, and then incorporate my own opinions into that. And then that's how I came up with the results for these prophecies. So uh, there's somewhat of a poetic license because I think in anything you're getting your own interpretation, and that's what I try to do is try to stay true to the theologian's version 
but it also had to pass my own sniff test, if you will. Well, that had to be a little bit difficult uh, regarding your sniff test because it sounds like that would have come over a pretty broad range of research, information, on uh, all these uh, various religions. I mean, obviously you've only explored, uh, from the sounds of it, three uh, very closely, but there's you know, thousands of, of religions out there. Uh, what uh, uh, caused you to look at Christianity, Islam, and, and Judaism? Well, I think, you know, going back to the other point of these being the Abrahamic religions, uh, they all have the root with Abraham. Okay. Um, these were the ones that were probably closest to me. You know, I, I have plenty of friends who are Christians and uh, good friends that are Jewish. Um, I don't have that many that, that are Islamic. Um, so what I did is, I, because of, of the conversations that i would had with them in my own life experiences, that's why I delve into those as a focus. You know, I've, I've done research on other religions, um, but again, because of the nuances of these prophecies and the things that are, the current events that are going on today, the interesting viewpoint that I was able to see much new things by researching all three of these, this was really the only one that compelled me uh, to write the story because, again, there was this was the only one that I saw something new in, where I researched other religions more on a surface level None of them really had this deep um, prophecies that were going on today. And if you're so looking at the, if really grabbed me. And if you're looking at the news, then of course you're going to uh, see these three religions come up all the time. So uh, um, it seems like there was a, yeah, a the connection. Ma- to that majority too. of the planet is in one of those three, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whether they want to be or not. Uh, and this, you know, obviously, just in the the name of the book, uh, prophecy. Uh, you know, really gets people to thinking, and you know, they they get a little more focused on uh, things like the end times. Even though, I mean, the prophets are uh, uh, you know well uh, written in the in the uh, knock. And I mean, prophecy has been going on for for years and years. But when you say the word prophecy, end times usually comes to the forefront of that thought process. So I was wondering if you had any intentions towards uh, giving people a hint towards the end times, or you know, how was the book uh, you know, relevant or, or timely for today, if at all? Well, well it is. And, you know, with, with now being 2012, I'm sure, you know, we're only in February now, but I think as the year goes on and we get closer to December 21st, to, uh, 2012, uh, the end of the Mayan calendar, you know, there's a lot of speculation about that being the end of the world. Um, so I, I do think this book is timely. I think that not only is it going to touch a, a subject that's going to be closer to people's thought process recently, but uh, again, the, you know, the, just the prophecies that are in the story, you know, one of the best compliments that I received on someone who read the book was that they almost felt like they were turning the news on when they were reading this book, that these things are actually not only unfolding uh, as I was writing them, but still going on today. Um, so that that's a good compliment. I think that you know the, the timeliness of that obviously has uh, some connection with the Mayan calendar coming up here in 2012. You know, I think I, I also, uh, as this date was approaching, probably in the back of my mind subconsciously, um, you know, always thought about things like that. Destiny is something that is fascinating to me. Well, as far as the Mayans and uh, their calendar and December 21st, I'm I'm just hoping that they what the whole thing's all about is they just want to go out and at that point buy a new calendar. <laughs> so, <laughs> but so you know, one thing that I wanted to to you know, talk about briefly is that this book, as you're reading it, you hit a certain point and it sort of takes a left turn unexpectedly. Can you talk about that a little bit? You're talking about the ending. Yeah. 
Sure. Well, the, the ending does have a twist, um, and, and I, I would say one of the, the best things for me personally in writing this story is my focus on writing this book actually took a turn midway through the book, and the great thing about it is as I was writing the book, I did not know how it was going to end. So as I was doing research while I was writing, I was also very shocked to see how this story would end because I didn't know how it would end. Um, it was only through the research of these religions that I found out that it could only end one way, um, which is how these prophecies say that it's going to end up. So um, it was interesting for me, and I think, you know, again, hopefully the readers will appreciate um, the research that, that was done. And again, you know, they, they, it can only end one way. So I encourage everybody that reads this to not only go ahead and, and read the book and be entertained first and foremost, but, you know, let this almost act as a springboard. You know, if you see something in the book, if you see an interpretation of a prophecy that you didn't agree with or, or you're questioning to see if you believe it's real or not, um, go ahead and do the same research I did. You know, look up the scriptures and, and talk to people. You know, I think that hopefully one of the good things that can come out of this book is that people can start having more dialogue about these things. I, you know, we're on the Noah Hyde Nation radio show, and, and I have to say, you know, before I started doing this research, uh, I, I would have not known what a Noahide was. You know, so the Noahides play a very special part in the end of this book um, because I think that, again, this is going to give that a, a much-needed exposure as well. I still talk to people today who don't know what the heck a Noahide is. So I go out of my way personally to, to educate people on it and, and let people know, and I think that it's something that's uh, positive. Well, uh, as far as you know, what you knew and didn't know about being a Noahide, uh, what kind of research did you do to come up with some information about what is a Noahide? Where did you go for that? Do you even know? Well, do you know? Do you know more about it now than you did then? I do, and you know, again, that was not something that I really did a lot of research on. I, right. you know, I know the seven laws. Um, I know that a lot of them were brought from the Talmud. A lot of them were brought from the uh, six hundred thirteen commandments. Um, but I'm certainly not a specialist on, on, on Noahide and, and, and the actions or, or what they do. That, that's not part of um, my research. But again, they play a special part in the end of this book, I will say that. Yeah, I thought, I thought the addition of the, the Noahide law, I, I was actually reading the book trying to figure out, you know, you know, what the heck was going on with it as I was reading through it. Because, uh, you know, as you're reading it, you know, I think anybody who reads it is going to go, well, what exactly is going on? Who's this person? You know what is his? What is the agenda of the story? And uh, I think that's kind of where it's. It was kind of an interesting uh, uh, a twist that you do, and, and sort of the way you bring things together. Because there were kind of a few different ways you could have gone with it. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the, the, probably the first question that I get asked when when people read the book and they ask me is they they want to know what religion I am. Um, and being an agnostic, um, I think they they take a double take. Um, because I don't have a horse in this race, so to speak. I, you know, I, I didn't write this book saying that I'm going to write a uh, pro-Noahide or pro-Jewish or a pro-Christian or a pro-Islam story. Uh, like I said, this was just something that through the research and through you know putting these puzzle pieces and, and putting patterns together, um, I was able to see that. So I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, questions I get is, you know, for someone who's who's a self-proclaimed agnostic, uh, why do you even care? So. Um, that's always a good story. So, so you've had you've had this out. It's been published since October, and uh, what kind of reaction have you uh, have you garnered for the book at this point? You know, I've gotten some positive and negative. I think, like anything, uh, I've gotten some positive reviews, as I mentioned before. You know, probably the best uh, compliments that I can get are going to be along the lines of, you know, first it was an entertaining story. I like the story. 
um, and then some of the other compliments or, or some of the other things that I, I hope to get out of it and some of the feedback I received is the same as I was saying before, which is, wow, I didn't know a lot of these things and, you know, wow, I, I just never did the research and I never talked about it. And, you know, these are things that, you know, aren't going to be in your normal church. And, you know, again, growing up in, in predominantly Catholic or Christian communities, you know, again, my my encouragement to people would be to do the same thing I did. You know, I think a lot of people talk about religion and, and proclaim to have certain faiths, um, but I unfortunately think a lot of people don't know a lot about it, you know, a lot about what they're talking about. So that would be the, the one thing I would suggest, and I hope that does come out of this, is more research, more delving into these scriptures, and more investigation. I think that's a positive thing. Now, one, one question I like to ask authors, um, you know, when, when they're talking about a book they've written, um, the main character is Judd Cohen. Um, it, are are you is Judd the idealized version of you? Who who is this Judd Cohen? Is he just uh, he's he's basically the the hero in the story? He is, and you know he didn't he didn't start out that way. He, uh, he in my mind he was going to be um, a hero type, but ended up being uh, a villain uh, potentially. So he had his own evolution, but he's not me. Um, as I said, you know he is a. Um, his religious beliefs are Christian-based uh, in the story, so you know that, that's not really me. Sure. Um, what I try to do again is just really write a story and, and take myself out of it. Any kind of viewpoints, uh, any disagreements that I have. This is not a book that's going to stand on a soapbox and say what people should or shouldn't believe. Again, that's that's not the point of this. Um, so I, what I did is I created characters that I, that I thought would be entertaining, that people would care about. And then I just let them evolve. I let them, you know, grow as, as characters within the story. So and, and I thought Judd was a was an interesting character. I I really enjoyed. I don't know why this sticks out in my mind. I, I enjoyed. Um, they're 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 in prison. He's in prison. He's, you know, and they're they're undergoing this torture and all this. And he has this conversation with this uh, you know crazed terrorist basically. And they have a Bible study in the prison cell. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yes, you know, he's one that's uh, very knowledgeable in religion. Um, you know, there are some, some things that um, he's conflicted with. Um, but I think the one thing that I could say about, uh, you know, Judd Cohen is that uh, he remained constant throughout the entire story. He was, he was the rock. You know, he didn't have to change anything that he believed, um, even though he evolved uh, and learned a lot of things himself. So I think that's a fascinating part of the story as well, and, and hopefully something that, you know, I strive to do too. I, I'm not resistant to anything. I always constantly want to learn. So maybe that's the part that I took out of myself uh, and implanted there in Judd. Well, uh, in, in your opinion, and I'm sure you've probably gotten many thrown at you uh, about the book, but uh, do you feel, for, as, for, as, from the standpoint of the author and uh, looking at the our, our audience who's listening right now, would you consider this book more uh, uh, entertainment value? Or, I mean, what is, the pur- what is the purpose of the book? What do you hope people walk away with other than just a good story? Yeah, you know, again, I, I hope they're entertained first. I do want them to think about these things. Um, you know, again, I, my encouragement, my, my hope for all this is that people start talking about religion more. Um, it's always been pushed in the closet somewhere, and I know that some people, you know, tend to get a little fiery on the subject. Um, but I think really the way that the best way to learn, the best way to come together as a community, and the best way to learn new things is to expose people to it. And, you know, I never understood why talking about things and disagreeing with people, you may never agree with, with somebody, 
but to still have an, an intellectual conversation about it, uh, I think is a positive thing. I, I would say, you know, why I would recommend your listeners to listen or to uh, read the stories is, again, to be entertained. I think they're going to learn a lot. I think, again, unless you've done the, the in-depth research that I did, um, you know, I consulted with pastors and rabbis, um, and I had a couple rabbis come back to me, too, and say, wow, uh, Justin, I mean, this I never knew these things. So I think, you know, even if you just study the Torah and uh, Judaism, you're going to learn a lot about Christianity. Um, if you're a Christian, you're going to learn about Judaism. Uh, same thing with Islam. Um, Islam has a, is a little bit more of a backseat in this book. Um, but again, I think that these things are going to be learning experiences. And, and even if it strengthens your own faith or strengthens your own belief system, you know, that's going to be okay, too. I'll tell you for myself, I you know, every now and then I... I uh want to give my brain a rest from studying and so i i look for a you know good fictional you know uh, adventure to uh to read so i i this was a night this was a nice break for me getting to to kind of sit down and just uh to, to read a, a fun story i'm glad to hear that mission accomplished well and i do want to remind our audience that uh, for the first five so get to your keyboards right away if you haven't already uh, we've got five autographed copies that are up for grabs as of this moment and we're going to be giving them away to the first uh, five emails that we get do we want them to say anything in the email tell tell us why you think you ought to get the book good i like that <laughs> that way we know that's what they're sending the email about right, yeah you know i want to make sure that you're going to read the book too are you <laughs> Are you going to read the book or is it going to sit on your shelf, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, you guys are going to definitely be entertained. Uh, you're going to learn a lot. And I think probably, for me anyway, the, the, the big thing is that it does uh, open up people's minds to possibilities. And I, I think that's particularly true of those who really don't know that much about it. I mean, if you want to go on a, a, an exploration of sorts, this would be a good jumping off point, I think. Sure. It's a it's a good start point. You're not sure. really focused on any one religion, but kind of looking at everything in general and then kind of honing in on certain things that appeal to you. Sure. So listen, I want to go ahead and thank you, uh, Justin, because, uh, it, I mean, for, for people like you, if we don't have you, we got nothing to, to read. We don't get to do radio shows. We don't get to do interviews. And, uh, I mean, it's people like you that do keep us entertained, as Adam said, outside of the hardcore Torah study. And uh, we appreciate uh, uh, you doing that and enlightening us and providing us with this sort of entertainment. Well, thank you both. And, and make sure you guys don't keep those signed copies that I sent to you. <laughs> Uh, for yourself. Make sure you give those out to your listeners, all right? As I said, there's five. And, uh, folks, just as a reminder, send your emails into adam at noahidenations.com. And uh, for those of you who don't get uh, uh, one of the free copies, get yourself over to amazon.com. Uh, they're not free, but uh, they're definitely worth the purchase price. So, folks, we're going to have to step out of here so our friends with Is Israel National Radio can take care of a little business. And, uh, Adam, We'll catch you all on the other side. See you next time. This is a moment in Jewish history. After Egypt conquered the Sinai and Gaza Strip in 1948, Fedayeen terrorists began cross-border attacks on Israel. In 1956, when Gamal Abdel Nasser, the leader of Egypt, closed the Suez Canal and cut off shipping from Israel's port of Elat, Israel was ready to attack. 
Initially, French and British troops participated. They joined Israel in order to maintain their hold on the Middle East and to prevent the encroachment of communism as Egypt was making closer ties with the Soviet Union. But Israel did almost all the fighting, taking the entire Sinai Peninsula and the Gaza Strip in a matter of days. A year later, in an American-brokered deal, Israel relinquished control of those areas back to Egypt. But she gained vital information that led to the swift victory of the Six-Day War in 1967, when she again captured the Sinai and Gaza. This Jewish History Moment was brought to you by Israel National Radio. Shalom and welcome back, everybody. We appreciate you sticking around for the next half hour of the No Hide Nation show. Adam, that was a pretty cool interview. I, you know, I really hope that Justin continues his search for the truth. I'm sure he's going to keep on looking. Let's hope. Well, let's go ahead and roll right into Rabbi David Katz' teaching on Shem and the Academy of Shems. Rabbi Katz, if you will. Last week we left off with the Yeshiva element, the Academy of Learning of Shem, and where those academies were and how they became to be instituted, that was the, the cliffhanger we had last time. So let's get into today, this radio broadcast, and understand, uh, beginning to understand the Academy of Shem and his grandson Ever of the esteemed and famous Yeshiva Academy of Learning, Yeshiva Shem and Ever, the Academy of Shem and Ever. To understand properly, what, what, is, what is Shem's involvement with Yeshiva Academy in the land of Israel. I mean, why does he? Why is he particular to have the Academy in Israel? And by understanding that, does he in fact have an out-of-the-land Academy? Are there any other Academies of Learning by Shem? Why does Shem have an Academy at all? Who was Shem to have any relationship to Torah? These are all the questions that have been, have been gone unanswered for far too long. Now we can understand that the Hakdama are the, are the precursor to understanding the Academy of Shem by twofold. Two important, extremely important and essential facts about Shem. The first fact is, where on earth does Shem have, have an involvement in the Torah at all? And the answer is, Noah... The father of Shem received the tradition going back to Adam, the seven laws of Noah, Shiva mitzvahs to Noach. Noah is a righteous man, and according to Tana de Bey Eliyahu, a book written by Elijah the prophet, given over to the sages of the, of, the, of the Torah, Noah fulfilled the entire Torah. In future lessons, we're going to get into what that means, how Noah fulfilled the entire Torah. Shem is the son of Noah. Shem, the right, a righteous man, the son of a righteous man. And Noah's name means to ease the labor or toil of our hands. That's what Noah provided the world with that the world had never seen from the curse of Adam. The world will produce unsowable land. Noah invents the plow and makes the world sowable. He eases our labor. And again, as we understand, in today's world, the blessings of Noah and Shem are stronger today than they ever were. Is it because today the Noahide nation is actually growing and flourishing? I think so. Noah, to be from Noah, Minoach, from Noah. 
Shem came from Noach. But what does it mean, min Noach? In Hebrew, from is a mem. From Noach makes a word by itself, min Noach. A resting place. The, the B'nai Noah nation really is a nation that's coming to maintain the world. And they come from Noach. They come from this level of Noach. Therefore, they have the mitzvah, the commandment to maintain order through derech eretz, proper conduct. Proper conduct is essentially the oral tradition that Shem's going to teach in his, in his academy outside of the land which we'll get into. So to Shem receiving from Noah, Minoach, from to rest. He was rested from his responsibility of maintaining the world. Now, that might sound like it's not a good thing. But for Shem, who's the quintessential hard worker, when you apply hard work with the comfort zone of having the toil eased, it created a womb-like scenario for Shem to receive the entire Torah from Noah. Noah thereby becomes the inheritor because of the great blessing of Noah, his father, of Noah to rest. The world never saw such rest since Noah came. And who was the direct recipient of Noah's blessing? Shem. Therefore, Shem could receive the Torah in a way that was even greater than the revelation of Noah. Shem learns the entire Torah, and to the point he becomes a Kohen Sedek, a righteous priest, and a Malki Sedek, a righteous king. A true blessing of the firstborn, the Bechor, where he merits the kingship and the priesthood. One, one can ask, which one is more essential to Shem? As it says in Zechariah, two anointed men stood by the Lord of the land. They say it's the Messiah and Aaron the priest. And the question posed is, which one is more essential? Aaron or the Messiah? And the, and the, the sages state, look no further to Shem, Malkit Sedek. He was a righteous priest of God above, Kohen Sedek. And he was a king of righteousness, Malkit Sedek. And which one does he go by by name in meeting up with Abraham? Malkit Sedek. They actually use the terminology by learning by Shem. Malkit Sedek, the kingship of righteousness, is more exalted than the priest of righteousness. In the two categories of Shem, he's actually called to be compared to Melech Mashiach in the sage's state. The righteous king as opposed to the righteous priest. Who's the righteous priest in this case? Elijah the prophet is also called the righteous priest. And the commentary is to that, that the passage in Zechariah. Now how Shem's involvement with the redemption in the future at Messianic times, that's going to be a theme we'll get into over the coming weeks. As it says in the Gemara, the tractate of Sukkah, Shem is one of four craftsmen charged with the messianic redemption with Messiah, son of David, Messiah, son of Joseph, the righteous priest Elijah, and Shem, the righteous priest, who is also called Malkisedek, the righteous king. Why is he a craftsman? He helped his father Noah build the ark, the Torah element of the ark. That was what Noah gave Shem the ability to construct, and Shem had the ability to ponder the scheme of the ark through mental meditation on the spiritual element of the ark. Thus Shem had learned the entire Torah. 
And now that Shem learns the Torah, he's charged with giving over the Torah. Shem is charged with the daunting task to make Torah flourish in the world. 400 years Shem offers the Torah to the world. The, 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 the sages state it was God that offered the Torah to the world. We look in the book of Elijah, as Tana Debe Eliyahu, the book of Elijah the prophet, is taught to the sages. When Hashem delivered the Torah to the nations, Shem was that vehicle that made that possible. And he did this for 400 years. And the only one that accepted the Torah of Shem was Avraham, Abraham. Shem, however, was brought down and worn out that nobody accepted the Torah other than the Abraham and the future Jewish people. So Shem goes to die. 400 years has gone by. The success has not been met. Will there be even a, a giving of the Torah to the world? Maybe Shem is for naught. He received the power of the firstborn from Noah, the priesthood, the kingship. A king of who? There's no nations on earth that are accepting the Torah. He goes to die in the wilderness by Mount Sinai. 1300 years he stays there. Until King Solomon had revelation of Shem, he goes out and he frees his soul, and they exchange the essential Torah. Shem was at Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. He asked Solomon, what happened in the year 2448? Solomon says, that was the giving of the Torah. Shem's mission is complete. He can now go back to the Garden of Eden, where his soul can be the, what's called the soul of souls. And the body is buried in Israel. Where is that in Israel? Is that body buried? At the Academy of Shem and Aver. There was an Academy of Shem and Aver where Jacob learned the Torah, where Abraham had frequented to learn from Shem. For 50 years, Jacob had learned by Shem, servicing him. That was the Torah Academy in Israel. The, in Israel was where the, the written law was to take place. As Aver comes from, is the father of the Hebrew. Ivrit is Hebrew. Aver, the father of the concept of Hebrew. Abraham, an offspring of Shem and Aver. Abraham, the Hebrew. Therefore, who was the father of the Hebrews? Shem. And where was that academy? In Sfat, Israel. The academy of Shem and Aver. However, there was another offspring of Shem named Ashur. Now, Ivrit has a certain written element to it. When you look at a shekel coin in Israel, it's written in kind of a funny language. Very archaic. In the modern day script of Hebrew that we're all familiar with, that's called Ashurit. It comes from Asher. The academy of Shem that was outside of the land. There's the written law in Israel where you come and you can speak about the oral law here. The academy of Shem in Nineveh. The Academy of Asher is where you go to have the oral tradition, but where it's written. And all the time there's the written outside, you come to the land where it is written and you speak about it. And then you go to the outside, you speak about it and you write it. The concept of the oral and the written together, in the land, out of the land. Shem was buried at the Torah Academy in Israel. And his academy was also outside the land, where he wasn't buried, but where he had the academy. And next time one will we'll go further and understand why do we say he's buried in Nineveh or do we say he's buried in, in Sfat at the Academy of Shem and Aver? Where was he buried 
And where, how, how can we learn the burial from the teaching of Elijah the prophet? Well, my friends, that was Rabbi David Katz. And once again, he amazes us with some of these findings and this knowledge of, of Shem that are just jaw-dropping to me sometimes. I just go, huh? It is it is amazing. And we do have some fun with George, too. George uh, Brock is back with us, and he's going to give us a, a Noahide teaching. And, uh, Adam, let's go ahead and roll right into that. Sounds great. I'd like to thank Noahide Nations and Israeli National Radio for allowing us to share the Noahide teachings to the Gentiles everywhere, the teachings of the sages as taught to us by the rabbis. It's an honor to be here. My name is George Brock. And Jack McCarter will be assisting me with scripture reading. Before we do, the first thing we get into is uh, the philosophy that we give. I'm a martial arts instructor, and, and as we give this philosophy to our students, we give them Torah. And most all of the, our students end up becoming Noahides. And, and what we do is we give them Torah as their morality or the way to control themselves and the way to understand situations when they arise, how to defend themselves verbally as well as physically. All right, let's look at week three. We've done one and two. Uh, The first one is on focus. Now, the enemy of focus is to have too many minds. One must learn to become single-minded. Everyone knows how hard it is in prayer to stay focused. Most people's focus needs to work on their focus. The second one is selfish. One escapes helping others by making excuses. If I'm not for myself, who will be? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? Free will. One is in a constant battle between good and evil. One always has his yes and his no from moment to moment. Arguments. A smart person knows how to win an argument. A wise person knows how to avoid one. And then on loyalty. In the end, one will remember not the words of one's enemy, but the silence of one's friend. This is week three in our training in the martial arts. Again, here, getting people to, we're teaching on how to get Noahide, or Gentiles, into Noahide teachings, gradually put them in and let the Torah uh, reveal light to the darkness that they've experienced all their lives. Now, our... uh, Noahide teaching is uh, Bereshit 18, verses 1 through 3. Hashem appeared to him in the plains of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, three men were standing over him. He perceived, so he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent and bowed toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if I find favor in your eyes, please pass not away from your servant. Now, why did Abraham ask to wait while he cared for the wayfarers. Talking to God was receiving for himself alone. The nature of God's word is to give. Showing hospitality to the guest is equivalent to a higher level of receiving God's presence, according to the Zohar. Our food for thought. God created the world so so he could bestow his kindness upon it. Abraham is on a mission to teach the world about God. Thus, the attribute of giving is the most essential thing one can do. It's equivalent to the true nature of God. Let's look at some terms. First of all, service in in, uh, Abraham. When one sees all is in the one, and one is in all, one will love the service as part of oneself. Let me say that again. 
When one sees all is in the one, and the one is in all, then will, one will love and serve others as part of that one oneness. Choice. Abraham taught one should sacrifice the superficial for the essential, the temporal for the permanent, and the particular for the whole. Our spiritual spark. Abraham opened all four sides so that of his tent so that all the travelers were welcome to a royal feast. When the grateful guest would want to thank Abraham, he would reply, It is not I that you should think. I am emulating the Almighty who gives us life, provides our food, and sustains us moment to moment. To him one should give thanks. Now, untying the knots, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 14. Be pleased when things go well, but in a time of misfortune reflect. God has made the one as well as the other so that man should find nothing after him. Now, this segment of our teaching is about how we came out of paganism of Rome and uh, into the Torah. And there are many things that we were taught that continue to have a knot on us for a long time until we, we got the light on it, which exposed the darkness, and then we can untie that knot and go on up higher and higher. So these are some of the things that affected us coming out of Christianity. First of all, why did the Noahides not accept Yeshua as God, the creator of all things? Now, a lot of the Christians have two concepts. Some believe he's God. Others believe that he's the son of God, but he's not really God. And so what do the scriptures say? Let's look and see what the New Testament says about Yeshua. First of all, John 1, 1 through 3, and John 1, uh, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see here that uh, Jesus is called the Creator. He created all things. And we see that we know we're talking about Jesus here because in verse 14 it says, and, and the Word became flesh. And the Word was God, and it became flesh. So, so what the Gentiles are teaching is that Jesus was God. Well, let's look at Colossians 1 and verse 16 through 18. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So, again here we see that Jesus is considered the creator of all things. So what they're saying is Jesus is God. Now, our food for thought comes in when we start looking at what does the proof text. Gentiles use the, the New Testament. They teach the New Testament, and they say that it's the fulfillment of the proof text. Well, if the proof text is the Old Testament or the Torah, let's see what it says, because prophecy should fulfill prophecy. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 44 and verse 24. Thus says Hashem, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I am Hashem who has made everything, who spread out the heavens by myself, and firmed the earth 
of my own accord. Now, God created all things by himself. This is totally opposite of what the New Testament is teaching. And if the Old Testament is the proof text, then we have to go with the proof text. If you have a driver's license that says you're 21, and I have your birth certificate that says you're 16, which one are we going to go by? One has to go by the proof text. Let's look at Malachi uh, 3 and verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us all? Why then is one person betrayed by another in order to defile the covenant of our forefathers? So we see Malachi 2.10 says that one created us. Let's look at Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should be deceitful, nor a son of man that he should relent. All right, it is, scriptures plainly say that God is not a man. And it says that he will not repent or change and become a man. So he's not ever going to become a man. Deuteronomy 4, 39, uh, 35 and 39. You shall know this day and take to your heart that Hashem, he is the God. In heaven above and on the earth below, there is none other. There's none other. The Jews were taught that there is no other God. So... There can't be more than the one if there's only one. Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 16. But you shall greatly beware for your souls, for you did not see any likeness on the day Hashem spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image, a likeness of any shape, a form of a male or a female. Now, this is as plain as you can get. God says... You don't worship a male or a female or any image. In other words, creation cannot create the creator. It's the creator that creates creation. Let's look at some terms. Abraham knew that some of the attributes of God, and one of them is he was omnipresent. Now, a limited man cannot be a limitless God. Number two, God was all-powerful. If God is all-powerful, that leaves no power for any other God. God is independent. Can independent become dependent and still remain God? No. Perfect. God cannot leave perfection, otherwise he's not no longer perfect. This is why he's called the Holy One. He is separated from all things, and yet he holds all things together and controls all things. Our spiritual sparks. I realize after studying the Torah that the Trinity was not Jewish in origin. Therefore, it was not in the Torah that the Roman God was and is foreign and is foreign to the Jewish transition of a tradition of reason and logic. I want to thank Radio and Noah Nation again for allowing us to teach. We'll have this opportunity to teach you again next week. Well, thank you once again, George. That was, a, as always, a, an excellent teaching. Well, Adam, it's been fun today. It's been different, and uh, I really look forward to next week's show. And just want to thank everyone for being with us uh, today. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, have a great week. See you guys next week. Shavua Tov. far away from Israel but want to closely follow the events there, the number one site for you is IsraelNationalNews.com. IsraelNationalNews.com provides up-to-the-minute reporting to keep you informed of what's happening in the Jewish state. 
you'll find scrolling headlines, radio newscasts, and TV news clips, not to mention hours upon hours of the best on-demand Israeli and Jewish music. In English, Hebrew, Russian, and French, Israel's top news site is IsraelNationalNews.com. <laughs>